Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Believe producer and host, and also FCS and NFL draft expert, Joe DeLeon joins former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I on the pod. You know, it's a little bit of a slow time here for the Chiefs. We're going to talk about the art of long snapping. And, uh, well, how did you guys, how did you guys get into long snapping? So uh, Jeff and Joe, thank you guys so much for, for having me on. Really excited to, uh, to hop on and, and talk about long snapping. It has to be one of my favorite topics to, to discuss because of uh, the uniqueness of it. And heck, I was a college long snapper for, four, for five years, and I was obsessed with it for those, for those five years. But uh, the way that I got into it, and uh, for me, I really badly wanted to play college football. And I was an offensive lineman similar to, to Joe, obviously didn't play in the NFL, but when I was in high school, I peaked at five foot 10 and 190 pounds. The only opportunity that I realistically had to make it and play division one football was learning how to long snap. And the transition from playing center and snapping and learning how to long snap was relatively easy for me to pick up. I already kind of had the, the motion and, and everything understood. I just spent so much time learning the technique, going to camps, getting coached up, working with uh, individualized trainers one-on-one and attending like recruiting camps, official visits, things like that in order to increase my exposure. And that eventually led me to getting a division one scholarship at the university of Rhode Island and playing 39 games after that. Uh, definitely very happy that I taught myself how to long snap and I'm certainly going to be teaching my kids how to do it. So they have that opportunity one day. Joe, that's a fantastic story. And um, I think it's what, what high school, athletics is all about right it's taking something that you can do really well taking advantage of it getting a fantastic education playing division one football and getting to live out that dream and goal of yours so awesome hats off to you for doing that man and finding it um my you know my story of of how i became a long snapper was a little bit different um you know jeff we've talked about this before i i bloomed late um, from a size perspective. Um, so I was, when I was a sophomore, you know, I ended up obviously six, five over 300 pounds, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I was only five ten, about 155 pounds. So I was like half the size of what I was by the time I graduated college. And, you know, so like Joe, you know, I was, I'd look to do anything I could to get on the field. Right. I just wanted to play and I wanted to compete. And when I was a sophomore at my high school outside of Philadelphia, where I went to high school, when you were a sophomore, you were technically a freshman because we didn't have the freshman, the the ninth graders were at the junior high. So your, your air quote freshman year was when you were a sophomore. So I I go up to the, you know, to the, to the high school to play football and um, we're over there working out in, in, in training camp uh, before the season. And we used to have to warm up ourselves as a group, as a position group. So I was over there and there was this one senior who, who his, his job was like to indoctrinate you into being tough and being a part of the football program. So every day for the first week of training camp, he would stick his no his finger inside my face mask and press my very large 
Italian nose <laughs> into the side of my face. And he'd say, he'd say, yeah, Valerio, I, I just don't like the way you look. And I, you know, and as, I, I, as a sophomore, I would take it. He was a senior, you know, I, I wasn't going to give him any guff. But what I did notice was this group of guys over there throwing the ball between their legs. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, hmm, every day I'm getting abused over here. And every day I look over there and those guys are just having a great old time with this really fun coach snapping the ball to the punters. And I was like, tomorrow I'm going over there. So the next day in practice, I show up with the long snappers and Coach Awanski was, was our long snapping coach. He goes, he called me Valero. He goes, Valero, have you ever long snapped? I said, Coach, I've been doing it my whole life. I just didn't realize that I could do it here. Totally lying to him. And, and, and he says, all right, well, let me see. Now, I was a catcher in baseball, and I had played quarterback before, so I did know how to throw, which is a key, which is a very key component of being a long snapper is, is being able to throw. Like I actually had, a, when I was coaching high school football, I had a quarterback who was our long snapper. And basically, I started snapping with them, and I ended up winning the job my sophomore year because wow. I was getting abused by a senior. So every time I see Ron, you know, uh, the guy who kind of forced me over there, he always said, yep, well, you have me to thank for you making it in the NFL as a long snapper <laughs> because I totally – so So that's my crazy story, Jeff, about how I became a long snapper. It was because I, I was tired of getting abused by a senior uh, captain. And you have that nose to thank, too. That also just <laughs> – and, and that, Well, that, too. And that, too. But, you know, long snapping has changed, right? It's, it's changed so much. I mean um, – you know, as Joe Joe alluded to, right? He was he was a lineman in high school, and and that's how he kind of got to it. Because when you're as old as I am, the rules were a lot different back then. You know, long snappers got abused, short snapping and long, especially on the field goals and the extra points. You just got you would get rolled, and you had to be you had to have some size to take it. Um, and as the rules started to change, and you had to keep the head, you know, keep your head off of the long snapper's head, and you know, you, you kind of coverage became more specialized. Uh, I'd have to say, Jeff, I'd have to look this up. I'd have to do some really deep research. But my gut level is telling me that Danny Villa, who was a teammate of mine in Kansas City, who also played for the for the uh, Patriots and the Cardinals, um, Danny and I, I believe, if I if if my memory serves me right, we were the last two offensive linemen long snappers in the NFL um, in 1996. Um, and, and Danny was, had moved on and he was uh, snapping Cardinals and I was with the chiefs. I believe if I'm not mistaken, we were the last two, uh, who actually were offensive linemen and not a tight end or linebacker type because the rules had changed so much. It, it was, it, you mm -hmm. it could now benefit you to not have a bigger guy out there and have somebody who could cover, which really, you know, and actually block too, which made, you know, made good sense. Right. The college level in the NFL have kind of gotten a little soft on, on long snappers, which you kind of have to think to yourself, like, what took them so long to protect the, the only guy on the field that quite literally has his head down? Centers don't even do that. <laughs> Centers, at the very least, get to look up at the start of the play. Long snappers have to keep their head down because in some schemes, the ball is snapped off of the motion of, of a personal protector. So you quite literally have to keep your head between your legs. But after that transition, though, Joe, you're talking about that there is now more of an emphasis on coverage. And for a good period of time, those were the guys that, that long snapped were 
linebackers and tight ends. And we've kind of gotten to this point where, and some of the, the guys that I've talked to, my snapping coach played in the NFL for a little bit, and he was an offensive lineman that knew how to snap and was a backup snapper for a couple teams for a very brief period of time. But he believes that John Dorenbos was the first pure long snapper that was on the roster and did not do anything else. And we've gotten to this point now where magician. it is so specialized magician for the Eagles, the, the magician. Yeah. <laughs> and he did, he was around for so long, not a, a crazy big or athletic guy, but just was so consistent at snapping. And it's become so specialized that these kids learn how to do it in high school and they stick through with it and they go to the, to, to college. They don't spend time in practice doing any other positions, but all they do is stand around with the kickers and punters all day, goof around and, and snap for, for 30 minutes, but because they're so hyper-focused, they're the most consistent people. And that's what NFL teams, I think these days look for is, is not only the guys that have the body typing that you want, but they want the most efficient, the fastest snappers, uh, the best athletes, all of those things. And it's, it's really come a long way from being just who, who could do it on a team to now who is quite literally the best in the country at doing it. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Wimbledon Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Well, we're here with two average Joes, as Joe Valerio said uh, previously. Two average Joes who excelled at uh, long snapping here. Uh, joining Joe Valerio uh, on our Believe in Chiefs podcast is Joe DeLeon, who was a long snapper at Rhode Island, now a Believe producer. Um, guys, you know, long snapper James Winchester with Chiefs is one of the longest tenured guys um, on the team. Um, and then before him, Kendall Gammon was there a long time, became a successful broadcaster. Seems like a good career. What, what skills uh, translate into a good long snapper? So Joe mentioned earlier that the ability to throw the ball, I think, is, is super important. It, there are some guys that are really freaking strong that, for whatever reason, can't figure out how to spiral a football, which is you know such, a, <laughs> such an odd thing that you'd think that any athlete, anyone who's playing football would be able to figure out how to do it. I think that touch, that timing uh, on, on how to hold a football right now, it's really comes down. I think the consistency aspect of it, who, who puts in the most reps. I, I almost compare it to separate from being similar to a kicker and a punter these days. It's almost like a three point shooter who, you know, who has the best technique, who has the, the best touch for the ball in their hands. And if you can place the ball accurately and very quickly, those are the most successful players. The other things, too, that, that come into place that physically what you look for in a long snapper, guys that have long arms, guys that have a certain size hand, you want guys that have big enough hands to grip the ball when it's raining, when it's snowing. <laughs> and Joe's showing off his, his massive hands. My, my hands aren't as big, but they're strangely big for, for my five-foot ten big. frame. Pretty big. Yeah. Pretty big. <laughs> but you need to be able to grip the football, and I think some teams take that stuff into a – into account uh, separate from needing to be like six foot and being 230 pounds at the, at the minimum. That hand size is so interesting. It's become such a thing that you're always hear about at the combine and, and it makes sense, you know, with your receiver quarterback. I, I remember thinking uh, when I, I went to the 
uh, comment. I guess Larry Fitzgerald was at the podium and his hand seemed to seemingly wrap around the microphone. Like, <laughs> well, like no wonder this guy can catch everything in it. Where it matters for long snappers, Joe, Joe, you were the had the biggest hands at the at your combine, correct? Yeah, yeah, 11, 11 inches from from here to here. Holy so crap! Measured, measured, the, <laughs> measured, the, measured, the, I measured the largest hand of the nineteen ninety one combine. So, uh, which I think this year was the Chiefs uh, one of their mid round pat mid round picks. So oh, it's Kennard, right? I think it was Kennard. Kennard. He's 11, he's 11, 11, four, big hands. 11, four. So he, he beat my record, but, but yeah, but going back to what Joe was saying, I mean, my, when I was coaching high school, you know, they, of course, since I long snapped before they said, Hey Joe, why don't you, you know, you work with the long snappers. I was working with the linemen and, and my first filter, like the first thing I did was I, it was always who can throw the ball like a quarterback. That was, if, if, if you couldn't throw the ball, like if you didn't look like a quarterback when you threw the mm. ball, I mean, you didn't have to be able to do a five-step drop or anything, but if you stood there and you couldn't actually throw it, I basically kind of used that as my first line defense. Mm. Um, because after that I could get any, I could teach mostly anybody if they had a decent throwing motion, because really, you know, as, as, as like Joe was saying, you get, you're really just throwing it between your legs. You're not picking it up and throwing it, but for me, it was always the first, uh, first thing I could do to sort of whittle out or, or, you know, kind of who, who was, or was not going to be a good candidate. And that's why, you know, I've had a couple of quarterbacks, believe it or not, backup quarterbacks that were great long snappers, uh, for us in high school. And, you know, it, 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 and then I just, I had, I only had a couple of real, uh, drills that I would do, you know, there was the throw, I would, you know, first you would throw the ball and then you would do the, the over the head throw. And then I had a, a I would, I would do like a sidearm mm. throw to see if, if the player had some kind of a consistency or, or accuracy by whipping the ball sideways and throwing it, if they had, could control their body in that way. Um, and then after that, it was just a matter of, of working with them, you know, on their hand placement and not trying to overcoach them. I think sometimes long snappers get overcoached because they, you know, everybody's going to have a different motion or a different way of holding the ball. Um, everybody's going to have a different way. If, if they want the laces to be a certain way, you know, especially on the, sh you know, the short stuff with the field goals and the extra points, they may hold their hands a little differently than you did, or maybe the way that you learned. So you have to be flexible too. I think when you're coaching long snappers and, and give them a little bit of the freedom to, to, to do it their way too. Did you, did you long snap with, uh, in the pros too, Joe, with the, with the yeah. How, yeah. and how many years, yeah. like how many, like throughout your career or just a few years? Uh, most, I did all the snapping in 92, three, four and five. So I did all, all the, all the, all the snapping. So did not do it my rookie year in 91, but um, yeah. So, you know, had a great, you know, it was, it was so much fun, right. To, to be able to do that and get out on the field. I mean, you know, my, 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 I have great memories of it. You know, my, my worst memory of it is was getting knocked out uh, unconscious uh, when in the AFC championship game, when we were playing the bills and we were down after Joe Montana just got knocked out of the game. And I think we were down either 10 to three or maybe, maybe they had scored 17 at that point, but we, we needed, some, we needed something to happen. And in the third quarter, you know, Dave Craig came in to take over and we were feeling the game kind of slip away. And so I, I snapped it. And I was looking down the field and Steve Tasker was the returner for the bills at the time. And, you know, in my just delusion, delusion of grandeur, I said to myself, I'm going to 
run down because nobody cut nobody blocked me no. off the line because mm-hmm. i was six five three oh five they're like let you let, just let him go down <laughs> we'll spend our time blocking somebody else so i'm running down the field and i always had my head on a swivel like i was always like looking around like because you know big target right coming down the field somebody's gonna take you out this particular time you know, I, I was looking down at Steve Tasker. And then, like I said, with my delusion of grandeur, I was going to strip the ball out of Steve Tasker's hand, um, pick it up and run it in for a touchdown. Right. Cause I guess that's what you want athletes to think, right. You want them <laughs> to think that they can win the game themselves. Right. Well, when I did that, I took my eyes off of, you know, the blocking scheme and Carwell Gardner was the fullback for the bills. And he was the perfect missile. Like, like I, I, I had gotten hit by defensive linemen on cover and like, you know, it was just two guys running into each other. No big deal. I was used to hitting guys that big. They, they, they weren't usually going that fast. And I had been hit by wide receiver types, you know, going down the field. And, you know, when you're 305 and, and a wide receiver is 190 pounds, like you're like, okay, you know, hit you like, okay, no big deal. But when somebody who's six foot three, 250 pounds hits you, who can run a four, five or a four, four, 40. Carwell was like a human missile and he depleted me um, oh as my I, God. I was going down the field because I took my blinders off or I'm sorry, I put the blinders on and I took my head off a swivel and I was out. Like I was out cold and Ken Hall, the center for the bills and um, Glenn Parker who ended up with the chiefs. They, I, I knew both of those guys and they had to like lift me up and, and, and I started walking towards their huddle and they had to grab me and turn me. And then I started jogging towards the bill sideline. And then Ken Hull came and grabbed me by the back of my neck, <laughs> and turned me around. And he's like, Joe, you got to go over there. Look at those white jerseys. That's where you belong. And I was, I mean, I was out. It was probably one of the only two or three documented concussions that I actually had in my, my career, Holy but crap. all came because, you know, I, I was the big guy and Carwell just saw this big white, you know, stay puff marshmallow, man, you know, Michelin man running down the field and just, he leveled me. So yeah, that was, that was my worst, worst, uh, kind of, um, memory as a long snapper. Joe D, uh, that I, I feel that so many, you know, linemen are a little bit anonymous to begin with. Um, but then long snappers probably taking it a little, even, even further that you often hear about them only when there's a big collision, like Joe mentioned, or, you know, some sort of misfire. Do you have any kind of in your Rhode Island days, any, any horror stories from, from that? So I, as I have alluded to, I, I've never made a mistake as a long snapper uh-huh. in a game snapping wise, but I, I like to say that I have the best college stat line for a long snapper. I had zero career tackles, with two personal foul penalties. <laughs> one, one in particular, the, the one that I think is the, is the stupidest one in the, in the first one, uh, the second one, I, had, I, I felt I had some legitimate cause because I got I got hit late and it was just bad time. But the first one, uh, I was we were getting our, our butts kicked by Maine and we were down by like two or three scores. It was the fourth quarter. Snap the ball and somebody starts blocking me. It's a linebacker. He's half-assing it like he's barely putting any effort into it, which is usually the case for for FCS football on punt plays, these guys really get lazy in these circumstances. So hmm. I, I get off the block after like a second. I'm running down the field. And this guy's annoyed that I got past him. So he pushes me from behind and, you know, I, I fall on my, on my butt and just out of frustration because we're losing and this guy hit me late. I got up and I shoved him in the chest and the timing was perfect because the official, it was the end of the play, the official standing right there, throws the flag 
and I get a, a personal f- foul penalty. One of the few times that I've gotten chewed out in a meeting room, I remember distinctly Coach Fleming still saying, going over all the mistakes that we had in the game, and then he decides to round it up with, and our freaking long snapper got a personal <laughs> foul penalty on a play and in a situation where we might have been able to get back into the game, which I didn't think was the case, but still, one of the dumbest things I've ever done. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, as, as we all know, Joe, it's always the second guy in that gets the penalty. Uh, yeah, so, I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, but, but, it, but that's, a, that's a fantastic stat, though, Joe. Hats off to you, man, for, for not having a bad one because – you know, to get those personal fouls, hey, that happens. But to not have any any yeah. errors on your snapping, that is that is immense. Because I, I had, I I had a bad one in high school. I I helped our team break a a fifty fifty seven game winning streak that was on the line, wow. and um, we were we I mean we lost nineteen to nothing. So it wasn't as if you know it wasn't as if I was the sole cause. I mean, obviously we didn't score any points, but my my error in my snap did lead to it was my junior year and the crazy thing is is that we we that would have been a 57 game winning streak we would have had if we won that game and then we went on to win like another 40 games after that wow so we would have had like a 90 game winning streak um in in at my high school um if we would have uh, won that game but i i just had an errant snap it just it just got away from me and you know i didn't have any more. So I'm, gl- I'm glad I, I'm glad I got back on the bike. Cause I, you know, and the coach, I got to give my coach a lot of credit. He didn't pull me out of the game and he didn't tell me to, you know, go get on the, sit on the sidelines, get back in there and snap again. It happens to everybody. Um, I do really appreciate that kind of coaching because it would have been so easy for them to, to, to yank me. And I didn't have any more bad ones uh, after that. So that made me feel good that he let me get back on the horse, but yeah, that was, that was not fun to walk to, to, you know, because Joe, you'll know the best thing you hear as a long snapper is the ball hitting his foot. Yeah, and yeah. and and like to hear that because it's it becomes like a rhythm, right? Like you snap it, you get up to do your block, and then boom, and you hear the and you hear the foot. Like it's like it gets to be like a rhythm. And when you don't hear that, or you hear a a double pump because you know it got blocked, like you hear the you hear the you hear the thump of the ball off his foot, and then you hear the thump of the hand, and you know that a ball got blocked. And you're like, oh crap, that that's not good. Or the the worst is when you hear the crowd just you hear like oh or or somebody yeah, like a right, defender like right. ball ball or something like that right, and just like, right. oh no what what happened in in the in the heat of something like that I mean I have I've had that happen during practices not games thankfully but in the heat of the moment you're you're thinking like oh my god what happened but you have to act like nothing happened in an assumption that maybe the ball could still get off if you immediately abandon your assignment you could completely destroy the play but Joe I like to think though that maybe my success was like, I shouldn't have been making mistakes because I had way more time to spend on snapping. You had other responsibilities. I was just standing there goofing around with the, uh, <laughs> with the kickers and punters during practice. So I didn't have much of an excuse to make, uh, make mistakes because I remember every in college, every time I had a bad snap in practice, the first thing that would come out of my coach's mouths were all you do is stand around and snap <laughs> right. all day. How right. can you possibly mess this up? And they're right. They're hundred percent. Right. I think the case is probably, a lot different for somebody who's who's spending maybe 15 30 minutes on on it in practice can't make an error right it's so yeah it's because it's so critical to to what right. you do it's not like even like free throws you would think that an nba basketball player where all they do is play basketball and try to get that ball in the hoop that's the that's the sole purpose of course you have to play defense and stop the players on when you're on defense but really your sole purpose in basketball is to get the ball in the hoop and still like even a 
fantastic, like awesome stat is like 80. If you can do 80% free throws, you're going to do well, right? Like you, there's no margin for error with long snapping. You have to be hundred percent. It can cost like, like me and cost the team a game. And I think one interesting aspect just to add to that too, nowadays, as I was mentioning earlier, it's so specialized. We're all 32 guys. I would argue 20 of them are probably at the same skill level. Most of them are at the same consistency and skill level to be in the position that they've earned. But what a lot of times, the reason why these guys lose their jobs, they'll make a mistake. They get the, their, their pink slip in their locker and they'll get sent home after that game. And a lot of the times when these guys make these mistakes over a period of time that eventually gets them cut, it's just mental. It's like with a kicker too. It's if that you make a mistake in a game, it compounds. And the guys that maintain their careers these days, uh, they're the ones that can shake that stuff off. They're the ones that can acknowledge and just move on to the next one. But the guys that get cut, like I, I think about the best example is Austin Cutting, who was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings out of Air Force recently. And he started skipping a couple snaps and then he was gone. He was, yeah, he, yeah. we have not seen him since because he has not gotten rid of the yips from, from what I've heard and from some of the people that I've heard that have, uh, have snapped with him. Yeah. You guys were talking about how um, you have to, Joe, you were saying how uh, you kind of study when you were a high school coach, you would study the throwing motion, make sure they could throw it okay before. Like when you guys are, are doing long snaps, like how, what kind of, are you trying to really hum it out there and put some mustard on it? Or is it more to get it there kind of soft so the guys can grab? What's what's the kind of the actual snap like? I think nowadays you can't really get away with not having really good speed on the football. Like uh-huh. you, you have so many guys that are equally consistent and the ones that get those FBS offers separate from having the size profile that those teams are looking for are usually the fastest ones. These teams want a very fast operation with no mistakes and the ball placed wherever it needs to be each time. So to me, I think you want that perfect combination of ball placement on the right hip, as well as a quick velocity and the time range that you're usually looking for is under 0.7 seconds. That's usually the the minimum threshold for a high level college snapper or uh, an NFL snapper is usually much faster than that. But at the very least, you want a 0.7. You don't want to be, it's kind of like with, with the quarterback where you don't want to be just straight up ripping it at a guy and, and just hoping for the best. Like it does need to have some touch. And I think if you place the ball in the right spot, you're, you're going to have a punter who's, who's able to catch it. You don't want those snaps to be out of control. But if you know your technique well, you're going to get the, ba- the ball back there as quickly as possible. That's great. Steve. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great analysis. And, and I think, Jeff, a lot of it comes down to, um, the speed comes down to, especially in the NFL, you, if you have the right location and the right speed, even a player who almost doesn't get blocked, can't really block a punt. Like that's what you're trying to aim for, right? You're trying to aim for so little margin of error that even if a player goes unblocked, they can't make it to the punter in time. To, to block it. Now, granted, if somebody has good speed they they could probably do it, but that's like the goal. Um, and I think Joe's right. It's, it's really a good combination of, of the speed and the accuracy. The speed makes up for some things, right? You know, if you can whip it back there, maybe you're a little bit off. If you get it back there with some mustard punter's going to get it off and, and without it, without any worry of it, of it getting blocked, even if a player does, you know, put a marginal block on the defender who's trying to come in and block it. Um, 
And you've also got to be able to, at some points, take a little bit off. I remember one of my, another one of the bad experiences I had, it didn't turn out bad for, for, for me or, or, or Brian Barker, who was our punter, but I remember we were playing the chargers and the ball was on like the three yard line. Right. So we were, we were usually a 15, we were a 15 yard team. Most of the special teams coaches that I had wanted the punter at 15 yards. And, you know, so now you're, you're already down to 13 yards, right. Cause the, the punter can't get out of the end zone. He's got to stand on the end line. So we're, we're basically a 13 yard snap. So you got to take a little, you have to like be able to take a little bit off of it. Right. So, so we get, we get one off and we were in, a, we were in an illegal formation. So halfway to the goal line. So now we're at the one and a half yard line. Oh, yikes. Right now we're at 11 and a half yards to the punter. And I'm like, if I whip it back with the same velocity, because uh, I was, I was a pretty snappy snapper. My, my, I would, <laughs> he's also I, a snappy dresser. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Look at my polo shirt. I got on. So, so I was, um, I was more, I was definitely more on along the line of speed than I was accuracy. And, and I, and I, you know, whip that thing back there pretty good. So I'm trying to take a little bit off. So we, we get the ball off, we get the punt off. Brian gets it off. One of our guys had jumped off sides. Oh no. So now they go back half the distance to the goal line and the ball's basically the, the end of the ball was basically touching the goal line. So now we're at like really for all intents and purposes, it's a 10 yard snap. And I just kept thinking, Oh my God, am I going to like put this through Brian's stomach? Like, is it just going to like, am I going to snap it? So aside, my fear was don't take too much off because then you're going to dribble it. Don't snap it too hard because it might go through his hands and we're going to get a safety. Like that was nerve wracking to do that three times in a row. Um, and then as it, Joe, it, was it was successful. We, Joe. we did, we did get it off. Thank goodness. And, and, and the other, the other thing was, was the weather, you know, and Joe will probably yeah. attest to this. Like oh, we, we were playing that we were playing the Browns in, in, I think it was, it was either 93 or 94. I can't remember the actual year pouring down rain, terrible field conditions, which lead to more punts. We, we punted the ball 13 times in that game. And I'm wow. telling you, when I say, when I say it was raining, it wasn't like drizzling. It was monsooning. And like, I just, every time I'd, I'd have towels, I'd be asking the official, can you please get me a new ball? I need, you know, can you wrap it in towels? Like I need, because those balls were getting heavy by the end of the game. So that was another nerve wracking thing was the weather. Uh, didn't mind the cold as much as I did, uh, mm -hmm. as much as I did the heavy rain. I, I had one experience like that. I managed to go like almost my whole career without having to snap in a rain game. And of course my junior year, we played William and Mary at home and it was, it was literally a Nor'easter. Like we had a storm come <laughs> through downpoured from kickoff to the end of the game and probably very similar monsoon type rain where just torrential downpour the whole way through ironically that might've been my best game snapping because I just straight up told myself where I was just like, okay, I can't sit here and be meticulous with my technique. Like I just need to get the damn thing back there and right. if it's going to be heavy and slow. It's going to get back there. Now my punter's hands weren't that great. So we dropped a couple of snaps <laughs> and I, I'm not taking blame for that. I'm, you know, putting my hands in the air and saying that one's not my fault. Uh, but no, the snapping in the rain is not, not fun. It can be very nerve wracking for some of these guys. Uh, Joe, Joe. the the punter who who dropped it a couple times. Does it matter who like the punter? Do certain punters want a different placement, or it's it's like a free throw that you on same target every time? So 
Joe probably doesn't didn't have to deal with this as much as I think modern snappers do, which uh, is definitely to to your benefit, Joe. You're very lucky they didn't have to deal with the sensitive punters these days. There are some <laughs> kids that I have worked with that I've snapped to. I had I had four different punters in college. I had a different one each year, and they all complained if the ball wasn't on their or not all of them. Uh, two of them in particular complained if the ball wasn't on their right hip. The other two didn't mind wherever I put it, but for the most part, these punters like a right hip because it's right on their catch point. It's right on where they're, they're aiming to, uh, to line up and, and for their technique. But, uh, I've to today punters, most punters are very, very sensitive, which is really annoying, but I think it just kind of <laughs> comes with the, uh, the expectation that snappers are supposed to be even more accurate than they've ever been. Yeah, no, I was, I was very lucky. You know, I, I, m- most of my career, I worked with Brian Barker and he was, he was great. He, he'd take whatever he could get. He was a good athlete. If you let one fly, he'd catch it. Mm-hmm. If you got one low, he, you know, sometimes he actually, the worst position you put him in, he was one of those punters, the better he punted because he wasn't thinking, he wasn't overthinking it. Right. So if it was a little high or a little low, yeah. he just tried to get it off. And sometimes he had his best punts. Um, one of the craziest punt situations I was ever involved with Jeff was in the, um, in the world league uh, when I was playing for the Birmingham fire. And our punter, Kirk Maggio, was uh, he was leading the league in um, uh, net punt and and like gross punt. And and the World League used to have these incentives where they would give you a few thousand bucks if you led the, the league in categories, right, as like incentives. And so we were playing in a game and, you know, I was I snapped it to him. He punted the ball and it landed on the one yard line and bounced up in the air and everybody thought that it went into the end zone. No one ever blew the whistle dead. And at one point there was like, we counted on film. There was like 36 players on the field and three footballs. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, it was, it was, Joe, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> but, but the referees, the officials never blew anything dead. So the, the guy, the returner grabbed the ball and started running and he kept running and nobody was paying attention to him as we were, as the punt team was going off the field, as the offenses and defenses were coming onto the field and he ran it back for a 99 yard punt return. Wow. And, and, oh and, and Kirk Maggio lost, he lost both of his, he lost both of his incentives in yes. one play. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. And, and, and he was like, he was so upset and, you know, we got reamed out for, you know, not seeing the play through, but you know, we didn't really know and nobody was really paying attention. And, and, um, and, and, it, and, and, a, and a brawl ensued on the sideline because he started yelling at Mike Norseth, who was our, our quarterback, who was, who was, who was the backup quarterback to Boomer Esiason for the, for the Bengals uh, Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they lost to the 49ers and Joe Montana and Kirk kept yelling at us and he's going up and down. He's found every guy on the punt team. He's like, you just blew me my incentive. You just lost me my incentive. And then all of a sudden Mike Norseth comes out of nowhere and boom, clocks him. Oh right. my God. Knocks our punter out. Now we have no punter. So our kicker had to be our punter, a guy named Phil Doyle who played at Alabama. And, and he, is there a video of this? This has to be the wildest, yeah. it's like Stanford Cal stuff. Yeah. It was worse crazy. than that. It was <laughs> we crazy. Quarterbacks pu- punching punters. That's punters. amazing. <laughs> Knocked him out. He couldn't punt. And then, and then I had to snap to our field goal kicker who uh-huh. hadn't punted since he was in high school. And so, yeah, so it, it was, it was, that was another wild long snapping story, uh, you know, to be a part of a play like that, that was just, it was absolute chaos. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is this is great stuff. I know now for my 
one and a half year old. I know I don't have the athletic DNA that he's he's going to be able to play college football, but maybe, maybe just if we just specialize, go to enough camps, his hands grow. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Yeah. Get him started well, early. Get him started, started early. early. Well, Joe DeLeon, thanks so much for joining us, not only telling us your sales tales from Rhode Island, but we'll definitely have to have you on. Uh, later in the year for your to analyze NFL draft prospects and uh, some FCS guys. Well, if you enjoy this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.